Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Uh, Steve has a fear I can't do this. Preach the whole chapter, Romans 8, in uh, one session. There are only 39 verses. So I thought, well, what I will do, I'll do my best today for what I need to do, and then there will be a day when we'll come back to this chapter. We'll spend a year here, all right? So uh, we will uh, at least get the good uh, taste of what this chapter is about. I, I do recommend this, as you probably have noticed each week, I read through the whole chapter before I, I uh, share with you from this chapter. This is a longer one, and so I'm going to give you homework to start with, all right? I'm good at giving homework. Take it home and read the chapter, all right? It would take you about 39 minutes if you could do a verse a minute, and that's going very slow. Uh, so I recommend that you do that. Uh, um, if you spend a lot of time in the book of Romans, your heart will be warmed and it will be changed. Uh, God's word is powerful, and that's what it's here for. It's to work in our hearts and to bring us to understand what the Lord has done for us. So I encourage you to do that. This morning I'm going to uh, first start with a word of prayer. But before I even do that, you'll notice in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the verse, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the great exclamation point of the gospel. This is what God has done for us. Just two verses before that, Paul's crying out, Wretched man that I am, who, who will set me free from this body of this death? Jesus Christ does. He sets you free. Matter of fact, so free, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Today, you're either in Christ or you're not. I want you to understand this, because it affects every single one of us in this room. Either we are in Christ, or we are under the condemnation of our sins. That's why I want you to listen very carefully today as we go through Romans chapter number 8. This is the difference Christ has made. He has changed us. He has set us free from that condemnation. And I hope that includes you. As we read these words here, as we spend some time in this passage, I hope that's you. That you have been set free. And verse number 1 of chapter 8 is your verse. There is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. What a precious verse we have here. Heavenly Father, do your work in our midst. We submit ourselves before you. Just as children sit at the feet of their father, we sit at your feet. And we seek to hear from you and to understand your love for us, to give us an opportunity to respond, to, to grow, to know, and to live what you have designed for us to be. Lord, this is important for us today, this time of our worship service where we listen to your word. And I pray that our hearts are, are receptive, our ears are opened our will is pliable, that you would do your great work, that we will find another cause to give you praise. Teach us from this text we pray. We, we must know it, and we need you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, in this chapter, the center verse of this chapter, in, like I've been doing every single week, I pick one and I say, this is where we're going to focus. Verse number 16. You thought it'd be verse number one, didn't you? Verse number 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. This uh, section here speaks of the life that we're called to live. We're called to live godly lives. And the reality is this. We can only live godly lives because God dwells in us. It's only because God dwells in us. There's, there's so much for us to learn as we put these chapters together and each one builds on the last one we just read. But this is a very important phrase. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you see a question mark at the end of verse 16? How many of you live like there's a question mark at the end of verse 16? You'd like to say, boy, I'd like to say I'm a child of God. But that time, at times, you say, I don't know. You ever been there? You ever wonder, worry, concern yourself with such a phrase? We are children of God. Sometimes you may not feel like you can say it dogmatically, (laughs) courageously. Sometimes you don't feel that way at all. I think it's fascinating that this verse follows verse 24 of the last chapter. Wretched man that I am. Now, to understand what he is saying in verse 16, we've got to go through an understanding of the Holy Spirit himself. And we're going to do that for a little bit here. Matter of fact, that's what chapter 8 is full of. If you spend your time, like I hope you do, reading on this, you will find the Holy Spirit is mentioned in practically every single verse that follows in this chapter. There's context where the sentence goes on. But when you look at a sentence, you see the Holy Spirit, 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 all over the page. And that's important for us to see and understand. Because in the first four chapters we've been studying this book, there was an emphasis on the sinfulness of man. His inability to help himself. And we felt that heavily as we went through those chapters. They were meant to make us understand that we were in, unable to do a thing about our condition. But Romans 5 then comes to the surface as we got to that section, emphasizing the grace of God. One of my old uh, teachers used to tell us, the grace of God can be defined God's help when you need it. And I've always liked that little definition. But Christ died on our behalf. Remember, we are the ones who have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Christ died to take the wages of sin. He took our place. And now in chapter 6, all the way through the end of the book, we're on the other side of the cross. We're enjoying what He has done for us. And we found out something. Man is still unable. Man is still unable. When it comes to sin... I wish I could say I got rid of it all on this side of the cross. I wish I could say I could, I could get through a whole day without that issue. But we realize that's a frustration still, isn't it? It's a frustration that we, we deal with, we, we have to work with. 
we found in chapter 6, there is a theological principle we must know. We have been united with Christ. That's important. We found in chapter 7 a practical principle we must know that the frustration of sin has been dealt with in Christ. We must have a realization that we've been set free from the bondage of sin so that we can walk in the newness of the Spirit. So, theologically, I would say, I should not continue in my sins. Practically, I should say, I don't have to continue in my sins. But I still have verse 24 of chapter 7 in front of me. Wretched man that I am. I desire to do what God has designed me to be, but this war goes on. So, chapter number 8 is so important. This is the undergirding of it all. This is what we see and hear and understand. But I hope it becomes something so practical for us that we we can walk from here saying, Yes, what He has designed me to be, I will be. I'm going to give you three words. Alright? Three words I'm going to repeat several times as we go because these three words are here in this chapter. The first has to do with security. That's a word. Security. That's an important word. In dealing with the frustrations of sin, it is good for a believer to know that the Lord does not intend to cast you away. Is that good to hear? He does not intend to cast you away. That's security. Confidence. In dealing with the courage to cast off sin and to live godly, it is good for the believer to know that we can live godly because God lives in us. God lives in us. That's our confidence. And the third word is hope. Some struggle with sin because uh, they know themselves. They look in the mirror. I know who I am. How easy it is to commit to, to doing what's right and yet to fall by the roadside. Ever been there? Struggling with something and you know what it what is good and yet you don't do it? Or you know what you shouldn't do and you do it? That frustration that sits there and we say, where's the hope? Do you know that God has a plan for you? I'm not being wishy-washy or anything. I'm going to show you very clearly in this passage. God has a plan for you, and it will not be thwarted. Because God has never been defeated, and He never will be. When He says, this is my plan for one who is in Christ Jesus, be very sure that that is your hope. That is your hope. See, our security, our confidence, and our hope is possible because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Let me show you what the passage does for us. But first, let's walk through a basic little lesson. Alright? Basic lesson on the Holy Spirit in case you're wondering, who is this Holy Spirit and what do I need to know about Him? These are the basic things. If you want to know a whole lot more, I could spend a long time on it, but I can't. But today, this is the basic uh, setup. 
Number one, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. I want you to know that. He is a person. He has all the characteristics of personality. He has intellect. He has emotion. And he has will. Those three things make up personality. He has all those. We could go through verse after verse and prove it. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is a person. Now I know because the word spirit sits here. You say, but he doesn't have a body. That's true. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He can manifest himself in different forms, and he has in Scripture, hasn't he? He appeared once as a, a dove, in the form of a dove, at the time of Jesus' baptism. We know in Acts chapter 2, he, he appeared in the form of, of tongues of fire above the heads of the apostles. So we know he could take on different manifestations, but he doesn't have a body. We call him spirit. But he is a person. That's important. Number two, he is God. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Now, I know the Trinity is a hard concept to grasp. But the Trinity is that we have one God who exists in three distinct persons. One God in three persons. We recognize that God the Father exists. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many times have you said that? You recognize that the Heavenly Father exists. We know that His Son, Jesus Christ, exists. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're convinced of those two and their existence, but we're also told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit exists as well. Now, he is 100% God. Just so you know, it's not each of them make up one-third of God. Like there's one-third in the Father, and one-third in the Son, and one-third in the Spirit. No, they're all 100% God. They all share the same characteristics, the same attributes, as the Father and the Son are omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, so is the Holy Spirit. He is God. Understand that? I could show you verses again, but we don't have a whole lot of time to work through this. Now, this is what he does. He is a person, and yes, he is God. And yet, when we come down to our salvation, it is absolutely amazing what the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit does. When a person is saved, he's born again. You've heard that phrase, right? Born again because of faith in Jesus Christ. Do you realize it was the Holy Spirit who regenerated you? That's our word we use. Regeneration is a big theological term. He regenerates you. He's given your mind the ability to understand the gospel message. He's given your spirit the ability to live and respond. He brought you to life. In Jesus Christ. He regenerates you. We put next to that the letter R. Alright? Hang on to that letter. Second thing he does when you are saved, he indwells you. That means he moves in. You didn't see the U-Haul back up, did you? He moves in. Now what's kind of interesting about that is that we didn't earn him in some way. We didn't manipulate this. We didn't somehow give him enough that he should move in. 
But he did it, even though we didn't even ask for it. The Holy Spirit moved in. That's the truth of Scripture. That uh, from the moment you came to know Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit has indwelt you. I'm hanging on to that very strongly this morning, because I'm going to say often, God dwells in you. That's the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. That's what he did. Right now, if you're a believer in Christ, guess where he's living? In you. Right now, in you. And just stay there until you reach glory. That's his promise. So, put next to that the letter I. You got an R and an I so far. Third one, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit also, who has moved into them, moves them into Christ, the body of Christ. We call that baptism. It sounds like an interesting word, because we have a tank back here, and we do water baptism. But this is the baptism of the Spirit, where He actually, at the time of your salvation, unites you with Christ. Now, our picture of baptism is water, and we put somebody down into it, right? That's our picture of it. What the Holy Spirit has done when you were saved, He took you and put you into the body of Christ. Did you know that? You, you probably don't remember that moment when He did that, but that's what He did. He put you within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 is heavy with that. 1 Corinthians 14 is heavy with that. Just a simple statement that that is what He did. It's not something you sought out. It's not even something you asked for. But it is his work and he did it. You are in the body of Christ. We put next to that the letter B. Baptizes. He baptizes you. Now, next thing he does as well, is that when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit secures our relationship with Christ. He secures it. It's because he is in us. And because He has put us in Christ, and because He is God, He will produce what He desires in us. He will produce it. He will bring it all to completion. And He has never failed, because He is God. And I like that about Him. What God has planned for you will be accomplished because the Holy Spirit has sealed it so. Those are strong concepts, I know. But now you've got a letter S. Sealed. Secured. You've got four letters. What do they spell? Ribs. That's what we say theologically when we have to memorize this list. How do I remember what the Holy Spirit did? Here are the ribs. The ribs. He regenerates. He indwells. He baptizes. He seals. These are the works of the Holy Spirit. At the moment, you are saved. Didn't know it, did you? Suddenly, this happens. This is what he's done for us. It's a powerful thing about what the Holy Spirit has done. So do you really think that in our frustration of sin, that he is going to let us flounder on without his help? If he's done all this already, do you not think that he's very immersed in your very life? In every aspect of your life? To make you what you ought to be. The word security, confidence, and hope come to surface right here. Because this is what he does. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Romans 8.16. Let's break it down. The simple thing about this verse, oh, it's, it's such an easy sentence. There are two people being mentioned in this verse. The Holy Spirit and who? Us. Alright, that makes it easy. The Holy Spirit and us. Now, what's interesting is, there's only one action, and that is, testifies. Now, what's interesting is, that both of these are working in this fashion. The Greek word to testify is to give evidence, and the other word that goes with it is together. To give evidence together. There's one action, but there's two involved in the process. The action is together. We're working together. We're aiming for the same direction. Agreeing on the same thing. You like it when people agree on the same thing, especially if there's an accident scene, right? You want the witnesses to all say the same thing. That, that would be helpful. The testimonies to agree. The Holy Spirit agrees and stands beside and testifies of the fact that we are children of God. Now, there's only one identity that he's speaking of here, and that we are children of God. That is what the Holy Spirit is testifying of, that we are children of God. He agrees with that designation. He stands beside that identification that our spirit claims in Christ. Now, there's something to note here that's kind of important. Both the testifying and the identity are given in the present tense. What's that mean? He's not saying that he used to testify that we were children of God, as if something has changed that testimony. And he's not saying that he may testify of it in the future, perhaps if you just get things right. It doesn't say that. But it says, rather, the Spirit himself is testifying that we are children of God. Do you find that to be significant? We are because He is testifying. Now, I don't know how many times this has happened. And I don't know how many times it might happen in the future. But there are occasions when I've talked with a brother in the Lord who has really messed up their life. They've gotten into all kinds of trouble and they come to me and, and no doubt it happens every single time in the first conversation. There's that question of their salvation. I'm not so sure is usually the phrase that I hear. I'm not so sure right now about my salvation. Maybe God has thrown me away. Maybe he wants nothing to do with me. You ever feel that way? I've heard people say it so often. What is going on there? That person feels guilty. Their conscience is beating them. And they say, well, I feel terrible. Do you not know that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is conviction? And he's good at it? Very, very good at it. If we sin, and we feel no conviction, we should be alarmed. We should be absolutely alarmed. 
I would worry about that because the simple fact of conviction in the believer's heart means that the Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work right now to bring you back to fellowship with God. He cares. So he convicts. Now that's the thing we need to reaffirm here, you see. The Holy Spirit is testifying that we are children of God. If you weren't his child, he wouldn't reprove you. But he reproves. Because you are children of God. He's testifying to the fact that you belong to God. That's why you feel rotten. You're not acting like it. He's testifying to convince you that you belong to God. Sometimes he's testifying to convince somebody else that you belong to God. It's an amazing thing he does, but either way, he testifies that you are God's child. That's his role. That's his job. And so when we go to chapter 8 as a whole, this is just reaffirmed over and over and over again. Let's start with uh, verse number 9. Verse 9. However, if you are not if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren... We are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. See that verse? For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leaving to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What did you just see? Here's the reality of what's going on. The reality. I know you see ifs all over the page. If you're this, if you're that, if you're this, if you're that. You see those ifs everywhere? They're actually in, I've told you this once before, if you put the word since in there, you've got the, the concept of that Greek word. He's not talking about maybes. He's talking about realities. These are not potentials, they're realities. You are, as a believer in Christ, you are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Verse number 9 said so. Since, indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Alright? We struggle with the flesh. We saw that in chapter 1 through 4. The flesh is our frustration, chapter 6 and 7. But because of the Holy Spirit, everything is different now. Therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. 
that the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what have I just showed you? This is the work of the Spirit. Number one, he sets you free. Verse two said so. He sets you free. Number two, in verse four, we walk according to the Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit. Verse number five, our minds are set on the Spirit. And verse number six, a, six, a mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Say, where's peace? I'll tell you where your mind's been set. If it's not set on the Spirit, there's no peace. You see? We didn't have these things before we knew Christ. We didn't have them. We didn't have freedom from the bondage of sin. We didn't have the ability to lead godly lives. We didn't have the desire to think godly thoughts. We didn't have life, and we didn't have peace. But now we have the Holy Spirit. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, he said in verse number 9. Since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, folks, that's reality. That's not a question mark. That's reality. I say that's an exclamation point. So that it's very logical that he follows in verse 9 and through the rest of this section. Since somebody does have the Spirit of Christ, it belongs to God. If he does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. That's an easy way to make a designation, isn't it? It's impossible to be in Christ without the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He dwells in you. He's testifying that you are a child of God. And verse 11 says, Since He is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and he dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I keep saying that, raised Jesus from the dead, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? He raised Jesus from the dead? Yes, that's what it says. You see, we're talking about the power of God again, aren't we? What can God do? Well, he can take a handful of dust, Form it into the shape of man, breathe into his nostrils, and what happens? Life. That's what our God can do. Our God could take a body that's been dead, and he could bring it back to life, can't he? Seen that, even in the resurrection of Christ especially. So who dwells in you? God does. What is he able to do? He's able to bring life. From the dead. He's able to do that. This is the spirit that dwells in you. So tell me, what can't he do? You who are frustrated with sin and say, I can't break this habit. What's a habit compared to a tomb? This is God you're talking about. If you're basing your your habit breaking on your own strength, you will never please him. If you base it on God's work in your life, He can change that. He can change it. That's the word sense. Verse 13 adds another sense. 
that by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the Spirit again at work in you. You cannot conquer sin by your own strength. You cannot do it. But He can, because He dwells in you. You will live. Verse 14, another reality. We are being led by the Spirit of God. Again, that testifies that we are sons of God. Matter of fact, verse 15 says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. There's no fear of being expelled from God's family. You do not belong to sin any longer. You belong to Him. Chosen and placed into His family. Adopted by Him. These are great pictures. Your identity is a child of God. The Holy Spirit stands beside that designation. You belong to Him, adopted by Him, never to have to return to bondage. You have a relationship with God. You can actually call Him Father. Isn't that what the verse says? Verse 15? What can we cry out? Abba, Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made that possible. And since you are children, verse number 17 adds that your heirs also heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The concept is not that you split things 50-50, but each 100%, a joint heir with Christ. That means that our inheritance is in Christ. Everything about Christ is about us. That's reality. The Holy Spirit testifies of it. Now, when you keep moving on through the passage, and I know we're moving very quickly here, there's more realities. Over and over he does it. The reality in verse 17, that the things of this world are not the things that we hope to inherit. To, to many, the inheritance that they look for is money or homes or cars or things. You will never find that in the inheritance from Christ. Because God's children are not wrapped up in things that will not last. Earthly things are futile. They are perishing. God doesn't give cheap trinkets. He gives eternal life. Our focus needs to get lifted above the surface of this earth. For this present world is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, verse 18 says. We are children of God. Let's look up. Not at this, the things of this world. What is suffering to us? Well, he goes through a passage of this, the suffering in verse 18. And, and we realize Jesus endured suffering. His followers endured suffering. But their perspective was simple. The things of this earth, these things are limited. Suffering is limited. It's still under his control. And we have a privilege to look beyond this because of the Spirit's work within us. We're going to be glorified with Christ. And so what do we know? Verse 23, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. And you said, but I thought I was adopted. Now you're telling me I've got to wait for it. No, not exactly. The papers have been signed. You're just waiting for the ride home. You've been adopted. We can't wait to see the realization of it when we stand there. Verse 23, our bodies will be redeemed. 
Verse 24, our hope is because we've been saved. In verse 25, we have perseverance. What are these all together telling us? Security, confidence, hope. These three things keep coming to the surface because this is what the Holy Spirit is testifying of. We are saved. We are set free. We are adopted by God. We are His children. He is our Father. We have the ability to walk in godliness. We have the ability to think godly. We have life. We have peace. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We await for our body's redemption. We have hope. Now that's only two-thirds of the chapter. But that gives you an overwhelming picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to wrap up in just one page and one paragraph, alright? Now listen carefully because I love this part. I, I get goose. I just got him. Security, confidence, hope. Things that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. Here we are trying to figure out how to get by a day without the frustrations of sin. And I'm telling you who lives in you. I'm telling you who lives in you. And this is where things get very practical. From verse 26 on through the rest of the chapter. He says this simple phrase. In the same way. The Spirit also helps with our weakness. What do you mean by in the same way? All that I've just given to you is what God can do, right? What a tremendous view of what God is able to do. It speaks of His power. It speaks of the marvelous things. It speaks of His testimony that you are children of God. He says that, that this is where He's been at work. This is what He's done to provide for your eternal life. And in the same way, guess what He's doing? Working on your daily frustration. Watch this. This is great. This is God at work. In the same way, as He's done all these other great things... He is helping our weakness. For He knows that we don't have strength. He knows that. He says, you don't even know how to pray. Is that true? Oh, absolutely so. I can prove that to you. We can't tell the future. Are you good at it? I doubt it. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know how to ask for things that would benefit us. We don't even know if they will benefit us. They may harm us. We don't even know these things. But He knows. He knows. He knows not only what we need, He knows who we are and who we're supposed to be. And it says that He intercedes for us. Now this is a powerful, great thing. I love this. He intercedes for us. He knows God's will for you, right? He knows it because He's God, of course. But He knows God's will for you. So He prays accordingly. He knows God wants you to be holy. So guess what He's praying for? That you be holy. He knows that you are to be like Christ. This is interesting. Because the Father wants you to be holy, right? The Son wants you to be holy, right? The Holy Spirit wants you to be holy, right? Do you realize you're outnumbered? 
You are outnumbered by the power of God and His will in your life. These three, we pull up that verse in James that says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. How much more does the prayers of God accomplish? He's interceding for you right now. That's His job. You think He's going to fail? I don't think so. This is what God is able to do. That means, when we get down to a very familiar verse, in verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. There is no alternative to that. God does cause these things. And the end result will be perfect. God causes it. All things to work because this is what we, this is what we are a part of. God is at work and what He has willed shall be accomplished. That shouldn't surprise you. It's exactly according to His plan. Verse 29, He predestined this. Those are big words. I love these words. He's predestined us to conform to the image of His Son. Do you realize this? He will not fail. When you step into glory, you shall be like His Son. Not mostly like His Son. Not 75% there. Not 90% there. You will be conformed to the image of His Son. Ladies, you all have beards. No, I'm teasing. We're not talking physically. We're talking about the image of His Son. Do you crave that? That's what He's going to do. He's predestined it, and He won't fail. He says in verse 30, not only did He predestine, He called, and those whom He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He glorified. He's got it all done. We're still just going through the process, but He's got it done. In his book, it's already recorded. I love these words, folks. His plans for you started long before you were on this earth. His plans go on right now. His plans will continue on. You will stand in glory and see it done. You will see it done. Now, does that sound like a God who gives up on his children? The words I shared with you. Security, confidence, hope. That's what this chapter is telling us. And you say, well, how do I know? I've been so frustrated. How do I know? Who lives in you? It's the Holy Spirit, right? That is God's testifier that you are His child. You see it? This is so important that we, we have these facts all put together. It's undergirding our Christian life. God is at work in us. And God loves us. And God's plan for us will not fail. Because the Holy Spirit Himself, God Himself is in us. That's our security. That's our confidence. And that's our hope. Because it's reality, folks. He testifies that we are children of God. I need that verse, don't you? 
Mark it down somewhere when you read through it. Underline verse 16. And stop there and look at it again. And then stop one more time and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done to undergird my heart and my life and my soul, to give me that, that sense that I can go on and I can live a godly life because I'm not alone in this. God's at work. And He will see it through. Heavenly Father, You know every single person in this room. And as we started our time here this morning, the question mark was first raised as to whether or not one was in Christ Jesus. And perhaps this morning you've been pressed upon somebody, if there might be one among us, who has never known Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you would call them to yourself, that you would see their, help them see their need, that they need a Savior right now. And I pray that you'll save their life, save their soul, give them eternal life just like you promised. Do your great work in our midst. Lord, for... The rest of us who know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we find the living of everyday life seems at times incompatible with the things we read. We're frustrated. We don't understand it all. And yet your word stands forth so clearly today, so strongly today, that you're at work in our lives. Your spirit dwells within us. He has put us in the body of Christ. He will not fail. And He is present right now. And if there might be some today, Lord, who are, are dealing with frustrating sins, habits that they haven't been able to break, bring them to the cross today, Lord. Show them that this is where the debts are released. This is where the, the bonds and the chains are broken. Show them that through You, all things are possible. Because You're at work in us. Change us, Lord. And for those who feel so weak and they have trouble walking another step in their Christian life, show them that you walk with them. We are not alone, Lord. We are not alone. The Spirit of God dwells within us. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Give us that security and that confidence and that hope that we need today. That we might walk in the newness of the Spirit. That we might be different people because we understand this now. Help us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.